This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Near Never podcast. It probably will be a slightly shorter podcast than normal because we only have a couple of guests, James and Adam, are joining me for this evening and we'll be talking about Spurs, Danny Ings' future and also the return to fitness of Sam Volks, among other things that I'm sure. James, we'll start with you then as your... One of the only guests on the show, there's no point trying to rotate the strike as normal. What did you make of Burnley's performance on Saturday? I thought it was very really positive, actually. You know, feel maybe a little disappointed that we didn't manage to get a point out of it. I thought there was periods of the game where we were, like, we were causing uh, Spurs some real problems. But I think, again, it was sort of typical, maybe the last ball and the finishing that sort of let us down. And when you're in our position, I think you've got to take every chance you get rather than, you know, only converting uh, one every few. It's a strange game, really, because in some ways I think Spurs were much better than us, but you'd expect them to be because they're a top six team. But in other ways, yeah, I think we matched them. I don't think it would have been really unfair if we'd have got a point from it, even though they probably had more chances overall. I think, yeah, I think we probably did do enough to get a draw. At the start of the second half, in particular, we were causing real problems. I think Loris has made three saves in quite short succession from Danny Ings and. Those are probably the sort of chances where you think we've got to make sure we put one of those away. Yeah, I thought I thought Warwick's actually had a really really good game. You know, particularly when you look back at how he started his time at Spurs, where I think he was seen as a bit calamitous. He, he definitely did a good job of keeping us at, at bay. Um, but I think what really disappointed me about Spurs was the way they sort of played counter-attacking football. I mean, a side that's assembled as you know with the kind of money they've spent uh, playing against. Or the lowest budget team the Premier League has probably ever seen comparatively um, it's a bit disappointing to see them go with counter-attacking football and in particular I thought Eric Lamella um, scored an absolutely fantastic goal but other than that there is no way he's worth £30 million pounds. it's just absolutely ridiculous It's really funny one Lamella because obviously he started quite poorly but seems to be a consensus that he's coming into a bit of form and it's amazing that was his first goal in the Premier League after, what, nearly 18 months. I mean, it's a great goal. But yeah, even considering that was probably one of his better games for Spurs, he wasn't really that good. Although there were a couple of moments where Ben Mee struggled to cope with him. But then, like you say, it's a £30 million player and he probably should be causing problems for our defence. Oh, definitely. I mean, Ben Mee costs, what, I think 600000 Um So there's a little bit of difference between... Um, you know, cost of those two. Uh, in particular, I'd say, you know, Ben Mee's maybe not the strongest left back uh, defensively going when he's when someone runs at him. Um, so you would expect a player like Lamella to, to have the beating of him. I suppose we should talk about all three goals. We wouldn't normally just go through the goals, but I think that all something worth picking out from. The first Spurs goal... Uh, in particular, I'm not sure what sort of view you had of it at Whitehall Lane, but there's been plenty of debate since, particularly regarding the the offside part of it. Um, first of all, do you think it was a fair free kick for the handball on Michael Keane? Uh, we really say we were sort of down in the opposite, the opposite end in the corner that the incident happened on. 
Um, I mean, it, it did look a bit soft. It was one of those ones where I don't think Keane could really do a lot about it hitting him. So it technically is handball, but at the same time, it's like, has he really gained an advantage from it? Um, whereas I think there was an incident not long after where Spurs clearly did gain an advantage from the handball that was sort of similar where he couldn't get out of the way of it, but it's actually put it under control and into his path. So you'd think that should be a free kick if he's you know gained some sort of advantage from from his arm being involved. Um, but I think for me, the free kick was just taken far too quickly. Um, I'm not sure often you'd, you'd see a referee not bring that one back because they take it quickly. Everyone still kind of stood around, including a lot of Spurs players, which is, I think, how um, you know you find a player in an offside position. But then not only that, I'm, I'm pretty sure Ericsson interferes with play because just the fact he's there and everyone stopped because he's there. And, you know, as a result, there's no one there to even challenge for the next ball. So I'd see that as him interfering with play, to be honest. I agree with you. We had quite a lot of debate on Twitter on Saturday night about this. It was, uh, the laws of the game were being quoted at me, which is a sign of, of where it sort of got to. But, yeah, I think it does come down to interpretation in the end. And surely the fact Ericsson is so far offside and the ball goes so close to him and all our defenders stop because they assume he's going to be offside, surely that has caused the distraction that means it should be offside. I should mention as well that the you're talking about how quickly the free kick was taken, the ball was moving when Kane took the free kick, so that's another reason why it shouldn't have stood, but should credit Spurs as well, I suppose, Kane... That's the sort of speed of thought that you want from a, a top-level player, isn't it? And he was there to get on the end of it as well. But from Burnley's point of view, two or three reasons certainly why it could have been disallowed, but we did switch off a little bit. I haven't seen it again. And from where I was sat, it'd be a bit brave to to say. But if it was, yeah, it did look from our angle like it wasn't a dead ball. Yeah, it was only clear from, I think it was about the fifth replay of it on Match of the Day. And it was there around, unless they actually picked up on it. But yeah, it was rolling and like I say, it was taken very quickly. But I also think maybe a tiny bit of naivety from our defenders allowing that free kick to be taken so quickly. You'd normally think, just get in the way, don't let them do it. You know, I think everyone's seen it sort of at uh, Sunday League and you know junior football. Stand on it, as they say. And uh, get one guy just stood uh, directly in front of it until... At least, you know, a couple of you have got into position. The positive, though, was that we reacted really well to going behind, which we've done quite a few times this season, and the goal from Ashley Barnes, so I don't know about you, but I didn't know he was capable of doing that. That was an absolute peach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in terms of plays you don't expect to score that, I think that's up there with uh, Stephen Thompson's goal at Reading. Oh, yeah, um, that was a cracker. You know, where you just you don't expect that player to have that strike. And it, it, I haven't, again, I haven't seen any of the goals again, but... It looked to move a lot. It was hard to tell because it was sort of in our corner. But at one point, I thought I was going high and wide, and you're like, oh, no, actually, it's dropping in. And it just, you know, the keeper was getting nowhere near it. It was an absolute peach of a finish. Yeah, it certainly swerved away from Lawrence, and I think it dipped as well. It certainly seemed to, to wrong fuss it. I think it was partly just that he wasn't expecting him to shoot from there. When Bobby plays him in, sort of takes a step away from goal when he brings it under control, but then hits it. And he's kind touch. of got a defender right in front of him as well. and and normally you'd think he's going to instead just try and find someone to lay it off for, but can't really complain when he, he hits one like that. I'm just going to say, uh, Loris is one of those goalkeepers that you actually expect to, to save things like that. So it's, it's kind of testament to Ashley Barnes that uh, a goalkeeper of Loris's standard um, was beaten um, by that by that goal. I've, I've seen that a couple of times now. And it's just, it was just so shocking. I was just like, is that Ashley Barnes? Is, is that Ashley Barnes? Um, and he still didn't smile afterwards, <laughs> so he's he still kept the the bad boy kind of. He's very I'm never cool happy. Dude. I suppose it's just a sign of how confident he must be. He's obviously scored a couple winning goals since coming into the side, and that's just a real indication of how he must be feeling. And we'll talk about Sam Volks and whether he's going to come back into the side later. But Barnes has certainly made his case in the last few weeks, hasn't he? But yeah, I think you know, um, regardless of. You know what else he's contributed? He scored goals, and uh, when you look at strikers, ultimately you judge them on whether they score or not, not whether they, uh, you know, ran around enough for your liking. I still no. see like people on Twitter criticizing Ashley Barnes, and it's like, well, he's actually scoring, so why do you still like? Some people hate him. Like it's like, 
It is very odd. It's because like it's because he he, he I, I think he doesn't. Some some players give the impression of doing a lot, and Ashley Barnes is not one of those players. Like he, he does not look like he's working hard. He does not look like he's doing stuff that is actually productive to the team. Um, so maybe that's that's why. Um, I think that I think there are things about him that rub people up a little bit the wrong way. I mean, he's he's certainly quite rough as a player. I think that's a fair way to describe it. He does hit the deck quite easily at times and. I know a lot of people don't really like that. I don't really like that. So there is that. But also, I think I think Burnley fans have this thing of they make their minds up about a player early, and no matter what the evidence is after that, they just don't change their minds. So we've got people on No Name Ever saying that Barnes isn't even a Championship player, even when he's scoring winning goals in the Premier League. It's like, well, you've, at some point, you've got to accept that he's performing well at this level. It's it's not that he he. He dives. It's that he ba- dives so badly. Like <laughs> I would maybe I wouldn't mind as much if it, it didn't look like he was diving. But he's the most like flamboyant diver for the least flamboyant player uh, ever. He's not very good at it, is he? I think he could actually join sort of um, Lee Grant levels of complete blindness of refusing to change <laughs> opinion. Because um, that was another one, obviously, where everyone hated him. And even though he he's had an absolutely amazing season in his last year for us. Uh, whenever you see people comment about Derby scores, you always see a Burnley player go, well, it's because they got that Lee Grant in that. Always said he was rubbish. <laughs> it's like any any excuse to justify the opinion that they already hold is <laughs> brilliant and ignore anything else that they've done well. But I think... It's quite common on the internet for people just to resort to to point scoring. Like, it's, it's just oh, like, yeah, well, well I, I said that really early, so therefore I'm right, therefore I get more points than you in the, in the, the, the game that is the internet. There was one, we'll come to the Spurs winner next, but we were talking about whether Burnley should have done better with it and someone resorted to saying, I just don't think you get defending. I was like, well, if you're going to bring the debate down to that level, there's no point in really having it. Is it? It's like you don't understand football. It's like, well, what's the point talking about it? Spurs winning goal then, James. Again, not sure what sort of view you had of it from White Hart Lane, but it's an excellent goal from Lamella, firstly, but... Does Ben Mee give him a little bit of too much space and does George Boyd do enough to get back as well? Um, I think maybe the George Boyd point might be valid. But then, you know, he is a guy who does a lot of running, so you you almost want to give him the benefit of the doubt that if he didn't get back, it wasn't because he wasn't, you know, he was capable of it and just couldn't be bothered. Um, but as far as Ben Mee gives him space, I think you can look at it, you know, two ways that, if he's closed him down and then he gets absolutely done by him and he, you know, he's, he's played himself out of the game, um, people are probably criticising him for you know, getting too close to his man and getting beaten easily and then giving someone a free cross. Um, you know, and on the other hand, you stand off him and he hits a shot like that. You, you don't expect someone to hit a strike like that. and you know, it, It's an absolutely top-draw finish at the end of the day. You know, there's nothing Tom Heaton can do about it. And I'm not sure that, you know, if you close him down a lot more than being practically stood on him, you, you stop him really managing to get that away. I think you're right. And I think Lamella had gone on the outside just before his goal and, and me and Stroll to cope with it. So he probably was wary of that happening again. Uh, Boynt's getting back was fine. It's just that once Lamella came inside, he didn't seem to close him down. He just sort of stood off and... Allowed him to get the shot away. It's me sort of showed him inside, and then Boyd didn't do his bit next. Um, yeah, I, I, maybe that's something that me was just trying to do to to cover his own back. I don't know, really. Yeah, I don't know whether maybe George Boyd um, had the penalty incident sort of fresh in his mind. That's true as well. Um, a little because I know that <laughs> there was at least uh, a couple of Burnley fans who every time he got even near the ball seemed to shout about him. Uh, only tackling in his own area. Brilliant. <laughs> never never underestimate Burnley fans. <laughs> Excellent. Overall, though, I think it's it's really encouraging of how far we've come this season that we drew 2-1 at Spurs, who I think are probably going to be a top six team, at least. And we're probably a little bit disappointed that we didn't get anything from the game. That shows what a good run we're on at the moment. Yeah, I spoke to, I spoke to quite a few Spurs fans on the way, but on, you know, on the tube and on the walk to the tube and um, you know they seemed pretty impressive as they thought that you know maybe we could have got something out of the game obviously they were happy that they got the three points but um, I don't think they thought it would be too unfair if we had got something from them um, 
and I think as well a lot were really impressed with Danny Ings who I thought did actually have a really good game and it's just a shame that I think every chance he got was sort of moving away from the net where you know maybe if he'd got one where he could probably get on one on one with the keeper he might have had a chance to score yeah, I think all, all the Ings opportunities are what I'd call sort of half chances. I think you're right. He was going away from goal and he seemed to be trying to beat Loris at the Naples, which I'm not sure was the the greatest plan. But he, when you're going away from goal, it is difficult, isn't it? And he, he was forcing saves, so you can't be too critical. Yeah, you're running out of net at that point. So I guess all you can really hope for is you know get it on target. And if it gets through, it gets through. And if it doesn't, then you know you, you probably want a corner from that kind of angle. One little question, Mark, and it does feel like we talk about this all the time, so I don't want to go into too much detail on it, but we did wait a long time again to make substitutions, and there was a period of the game sort of just after the hour mark when it felt like it was drifting a little bit. Spurs had got on top, and I just didn't understand why we waited until the last 12 minutes again to make a change. Dash must have his reasons. I just I just can't work out what they are. I guess it comes down to... like his kind of undying faith in his players like yeah i don't know if he's if it's foolish to be so like stubborn um but i don't even know if it's stubbornness anyway he might just want to wait until the last minute anyway just to see if anything comes of it because we we i have to say we have been in the position as fans where we thought oh well this substitution won't work well well this substitution is too late and it's gone gone ahead and and it's actually produced results yeah a very good a very good example of that actually is the the Blackburn game at home uh, yeah, the Sam Volk's where, where Sam Volk's got the equaliser and um, someone shouted behind Dash. Uh, what's what good's putting him on now? Going to do? He's two minutes left, um, and then he scores. So <laughs> counter arguments that though. The guy in the stand might say if you put him on five minutes earlier, he might yeah, have scored twice. Yeah. yeah, he actually knew he did score twice as well. Counter arguments that though. The guy in the stand might say if you put him on five minutes earlier, he might have scored twice. Yeah. Michael Carter was definitely getting ready at about 65, 70 minutes. Um, you could see him on the bench doing his tape on his wrists, and and then he he seemed to go quiet again. And um, you know he ran up up and down the touchline a bit longer, and you were thinking any minute now he's getting called over, and that's it. He's you know he's getting on, but um, it did take a long time. And it, it's disappointing because obviously when um, when the two came on, I don't think they really had much opportunity to do anything. And it was a period where we seemed to get back on the front foot and, and put Spurs under quite a lot of late pressure. And obviously, Ross Wallace nearly managed to uh, repeat his heroics at um, Leicester with a late free kick as well. That's that's the issue for me. I think if you're waiting that late, it's probably going to take them five minutes maybe to get into the game. And then you're looking at they've got five to ten minutes left and you're asking an awful lot for someone to make an impact. But I think Adam is right. I think it's, it's the trust and the faith that he has in his players that he's put out there and he obviously feels like they can get the job done, but I think it's it's. There were a lot of complaints about Scott Arfield actually coming from from Burnley fans um, on Saturday, and I think a lot of people were sort of hoping he'd get taken off sort of the fifty fifty five minute mark. I, I don't think he had that bad a game, but um, a lot of people didn't seem impressed with him. And I think it when you saw Carl, he was getting ready at that stage, it almost looked like maybe Dash was thinking the same thing. But then obviously he doesn't doesn't make the change as soon as he looks like he's got it lined up. It's a funny one, Arfield, isn't it? Because he's certainly having a bit of a, a dodgy patch, but I'm starting to wonder now if, when he started the season playing really well, if that was more the outlier and this is more just what Arfield's level now. I mean, he was so good in the opening week, so we're just expecting too much for him to be doing that all the time. He started so well that now, whenever he's not, that good everyone everyone is that is that seems like an outlier when it's probably more common that he he isn't that good as um especially at this stage in the season we've had enough games now i think ultimately people maybe forget sort of um the situation Arfield came from where he wasn't necessarily first in america at huddersfield he came to us um he's played out of position with us the whole time i know you don't agree with that jamie but he plays out of position um and ultimately, you know, he's probably outperformed what anyone at his previous club thought he was capable of. Um, and, you know, stepping up to the Premier League, he's certainly outperformed what but, a lot of people think he's capable of. And I think ultimately the issue comes down to that maybe he was a standout player at the beginning of the season. But I think maybe as much as maybe his game uh, dropping slightly, I think the rest of our team have raised their game. 
and maybe they're yeah. playing with the same sort of belief that he was playing with at the beginning of the season. Yeah. And as a result, he's sort of his performance now has averaged out to to the rest of the teams. Also, at the like in the in the close season uh, during uh, Dash's, um transfer activity, Scott Arfield was built up to be this amazing messiah who came from nothing and and like it was amazing and and that was the 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 kind of player that everyone who had faith in Dyche's transfer kind of dealings that was the that was the th- thing that was that was used all the time so maybe that that has also added to the the kind of expectation that that lies on him and then once he starts well that just kind of corroborates any any feeling no, it's true. I mean, he did sort of get put on a pedestal, wasn't he? I mean, any any player that people didn't rate that we went after, it was always, yeah, but Scott Arfield. And I used to just go, yeah, but Ryan Noble. Like, you can't just say Scott Arfield and that'd be the end of the argument and it doesn't work. But, yeah, I, I just think in recent weeks, he's not he's not had the, the verve that I really associate with Arfield. He's not like he's been taking people on like he was in the first few weeks. And I don't know if he's fully fit, but... Just seems like his confidence is a bit low at the minute. I'd be thinking about um, resting him in inverted court marks. I think it's time for him to have a couple of games on the sidelines and see if somebody else can can do a bit better. And on that, I think actually, I thought Carter was a little hard done by um, dropping out the side after the Stoke game because um, I watched the Stoke game obviously when I was away in America, and I thought you know Carter you know did a good job. Obviously, he set up um, things as goal. Um, and I think you know after he didn't start in the team at the beginning of the season, I think he you know he did a good job once he was in the side. And obviously, I do like having two properly recognised wingers, um, because I think if you we're going to play, um, you know, in the Premier League against higher levels, uh, you know, better opponents, I think having two wingers helps us on the break um, with the chance of stealing a goal on the counter attack that we did at Stoke. Yeah, I think Kyle is a difficult one because he. He was excellent in the game at Stoke, but he played against Villa in the next game, and I thought he was really poor that game. So I think that's what you get with Kiley. Sometimes he can be really hit and miss. And I think that's why Dash prefers Arfield, because he's much more a, a solid player. You know you're going to get a 6, 7 out of 10 out of Arfield, I think. But yeah, I think it's time to give Kiley a go. Certainly for, for one of the games over Christmas, obviously the games come thick and fast this time. Yeah, you can't be expecting anyone to start all four of the next four. You've got four games in, what is it, about ten days or something. There's going to have to be some level of rotation. Level of rotation. Really yeah, that's true. I mean, Liverpool, you would expect they'll... We'll preview the two Christmas games a bit later, but Liverpool, you'll expect they'll dominate the ball. City will be the same. We're going to have to do an awful lot of running in those two games in three days, and I just don't think you can expect the same group of players to do it. Um, someone who I am sure is going to play 90 minutes in both games, so it's Jason Shackle, who there's an incredible stat that... The last 100 league games, he's played every single minute. He's not been substituted. He hasn't missed a game through injury. Hasn't been suspended. Since Dash came in as manager, he's played every single minute in the league. And I think it's about time that we started recognising just what an incredible presence Jason Shackle's been for our football club. I think, I think uh, you know, Shackle's been amazing. Um, particularly after, I'd say, the, the Chelsea game this year when everyone came into expecting Duff to be the, the weak link. And actually, like it was Shaka, he, like he was a little bit nervous, um, you know, with the level he was playing at. But I don't think you can argue with the way he's he's, he's played since. Um, so clearly, that was just you know maybe first game nerves. But I think he's you know he's been sensational. It's been the case the whole way through Dash's time at the club. I think obviously when he first came under Eddie Howe, he had a bit of an injury problem, which I think meant he wasn't fully fit, and he, you were sort of left wondering if we got the player we thought we were getting. But I think. You know, since then you can't really argue with with what he's done, and I think he was lucky not to get a goal as well on on Saturday when he had a header at the back post that you know maybe you could say he might have done better with on another day. I just look back and, and wonder how different things might have been if we'd been able to get Shackle a year earlier when when how tried to get him. I mean, it's been so important for the club. It, it could have all worked out different, and we might have ended up keeping Harry because the defense was so poor. That's one of the reasons he left, I think, and. We've been generally solid. Because I think you know, even when he did come in, the defense didn't really look to improve, um, and I think that's probably what you sacrifice with Eddie House football. You know, in the same way that we did with Owen Coyle, um, you never expected us to to keep clean sheets. Um, but you know, I think ultimately, 
Eddie Howe moving on clearly he's been the best for pretty much everyone involved obviously he's doing really well now at Bournemouth we've got promoted to the Premier League and Jason Shackle obviously is probably playing the best football of his career yeah absolutely I just think it's an interesting alternative reality maybe where Shackle did come to Burnley a year earlier I just wonder how it would have worked out um, just staying on Shackle I think the last few weeks as well have really shown his qualities because he's used to playing with Michael Duff who looks after himself he knows the game inside out but now he's having to, to sort of guide Michael Keane a little bit because he is quite raw, although I've been impressed with him so far. And it, it's different when you've got somebody else to worry about alongside you. And I think we've seen in the last few weeks that Shackle's leadership qualities are completely outstanding. And I think you're right, the fact that he didn't start the season well, but the last few weeks he's been brilliant, it really shows his quality for me. And I think Robbie wrote a piece on the site about his contracts. He's got 18 months left on his contracts and maybe we should be thinking about extending that even though he's 31. I think if Shackle was still there at the end of his career, I'd be absolutely delighted. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think centre-backs as well do tend to play on, um, you know, to an older age and you'd expect to play in positions. I mean, obviously, look at Michael Duff, he's still going. Um, and I'd say even at his peak, he, he wasn't close to the, you know, the quality of player that Jason Shackle is. Um, but it's an interesting point you make about you know Duff being out at the moment, and how you've had a, you know an experienced head next to you doesn't really need telling what to do. Obviously, you still need to lead because you're the, you know the captain, um, as well as the guy who's expected to lead the defence. But Michael Duff knows what he's doing. He wouldn't still be a pro if he didn't. Um, but on Michael Keane, I've actually been really impressed with Michael Keane. He he's a similar type of player, I think, to Jason Shackle. Um, he does like to sort of get the ball at his feet every now and then um, and it is, I think it's been good for the side that his distribution is I'd say considerably better than Michael Duff so he's quite often goes with the sort of long long and hope uh, approach but um, you know, I think it's been good bringing Michael Keane I think it's important because um, when you bring in these players on loan you sort of need to show that you're willing to give them a chance and, and get them game time otherwise other clubs aren't going to want to loan out their young players to you because ultimately them sitting on the bench for you is no different to them sitting on the bench for them so um, it's been good to see uh, obviously Shaq and Keane together recently Well there's that and obviously Keane and Shalabar their loans both run out in January I think Shalabar's probably a foregone conclusion I'd be amazed if we keep him but Keane's probably a bit more up in the air obviously he's played the last few games for us but it's not clear whether he'll keep his place when Duff gets fit and Man United still having quite a lot of problems at the back where do you see that situation going obviously it's very difficult to tell but United have been playing Michael Carrick at the back recently so there is still a bit of a shortage there but they could go out and buy someone do you think we've got a good chance of keeping him for the rest of the season? I'd say we'd probably have a chance of keeping him um, I think United are playing a really strange sort of defensive line recently. I've seen that they've been using um, obviously Young and Valencia a lot as sort of wing backs, um, and since I don't think either of those have an ounce of defensive ability in them, um, it, it just looks really bizarre. Uh, but you know, I'm just not sure how they, uh, you know, whether they'd see Michael Keane as someone they're going to play for the rest of the season. You know, particularly when obviously they do have the option in, in January to go out and spend if they want to. Um, so I'd probably suspect that they're more likely to spend something and bring in someone who's you know ready-made rather than uh, turn to youth right now. I think the issue with, with Keane at United as well is, um, obviously if, if he hadn't come to Burnley, he probably would have had a chance and maybe would have been ahead of, of Tyler Blackett and Paddy McNair. But because he left and they got a goal, probably below them now just because Van Gaal's seen what they're about and he knows what to expect from them so yeah there's a chance they can go out and buy I think they've got to get players fit at some point so you'd think maybe Jones and Rojo are going to be the the two main centre-backs when they've got players fit so King could go back there and find himself third choice even among the the young standings so yeah I'm hopeful that we can certainly extend that long until the end of the season and then um, assess it and maybe get a permanent deal done because like you I'm very impressed and I totally agree on distribution I think he's got a big plus over Duff in that area and I think it's important in the Premier League to have centre-backs who are comfortable on the ball because it allows you to bring the ball out from the back and not have to hit it from <laughs> hit it down the field so much and it just ends up coming back so yeah really hopeful that we can keep Keane 
Another to I think you see quite a lot with us, um, the way our two centre midfielders play, particularly, uh, you know, David Jones, quite often he gets the ball under pressure and if he gets under pressure, quite often the only outward is a centre-back. And then obviously someone closes down the centre-back who gets it and you need to pass it to the other one. And I think having two centre-backs who can both play the ball means that no matter which centre-back he knocks it back to, as soon as they knock it onto the other one as they're getting closed down, you've got someone who's, um, you know, capable of making the next pass and, and finding of a claret shirt. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the problems with the two-man midfield, isn't it? Jones is quite often under pressure, and he's taken a bit of stick recently from supporters, but I think it's not really any fault of his own. It's that he's playing in a two against the three most weeks, and he's just under pressure, and he doesn't have the pace to go past players. But there was a stat, he made seven interceptions on Saturday, which was more than anyone, and he won the ball back to start the move that settled the Barnes goal, so... I think it does need to be said when he does things right because he's getting some pelters and I think that's been a bit unfair. I think overall Jones has probably been one of our better players this season. Yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately you're playing against teams that I know they always say you get more space in the Premier League, but I think that's a, a I don't know whether it's an, a visual effect or something because you, you definitely don't, at least not in the middle. You know, he, he's getting a touch and turning and in the Championship he was still stood with the ball and no one was near him. In the Premier League he's getting a touch and turning there's someone on him. Um, and, you know, I think he holds the ball well, even under pressure. Uh, but quite often, obviously, the only option is to go back because that's the only place you've got a guaranteed pass. And I think it, someone actually behind me at the game on Saturday said at one point where he passed forward and it got picked off. They said, oh, that's why he passes back all the time. It's like, well, what do you expect? You're playing a two-man midfield. Quite often, our wingers push up straight away as well. So you're asking him to make a pass through, you know, three opposition midfielders, you know, if if you do that ten times, you're going to get you know three or four that get picked off. Yeah, I just think Burnley fans seem to always have to have someone to have a bit of a go at, and now Barnes has started doing quite well. It needs to be somebody else's turn, and maybe it just seems to be David Jones who's in the firing line at the moment. You've also got to remember in the like in the Premier League, teams will also target players and and have specific tactics that are tailored to teams much yeah, more than, than in the Championship. So in the midfield. They're going to see David Jones, know his lack of pace, and, and target him, and try and stop the ball going through that area. Um, much more in the in the Championship, so that maybe the, the there is more space in the in the Premier League, but just not for the people who can be dangerous with it, like David Jones. I think you, you do see that kind of thing. Or obviously, teams are going to watch tape um, before the game, and I think we even saw it in the Championship when when Brian Stock played um, as a guy who was obviously quite established in the Championship. A lot of teams would have played against him before. And they would have known that he liked time on the ball, and you'd see people try and hassle him as well. And I think it's just the you know it's the same thing, obviously at a different level, which means obviously that the hassling is even uh, you know more effective because players are just quicker and bigger and stronger. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. I think you're right about the the space issue, but the, the fact that players are faster means that that space gets eaten up a lot quicker. It might look like Jones has got time and space, but by the time he's turned. It's not there anymore. And also, I think because he is so left-footed, I think it's unfair for people to have a go at him over this. He's what he's 30 years old or something. He's always been very left-footed, so he's not going to change now. But again, that's something teams will know about him. They know that if you try and get him on his right foot, he's going to want to go on his left foot and you can cause problems for him. So I think it's 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 a learning curve for all the players. And I think Jones is just... He needs to adapt a bit better to it, but I've got every faith in him. I think he's one of our better players, and I think he's going to be fine. What I want to talk about next is Danny Ings, and James thought he played really well on Saturday. I thought he wasn't that good compared to some of his recent games, but his future is always going to be up for debate, I suppose, with his, his contract situation, which we have done to death. Sean Dash has said today that we've got no intention of selling him, which is good news. He's pointed out that the chairman has said that Ings isn't going anywhere, and Dash said, I'm happy with that as a manager. Um, I suppose the risk is that someone comes in with a very big offer and means that there is a decision to make, but from a, a football perspective, it makes no sense to sell him, and even from a business one, it would take a massive bid to be anything like what we could earn from staying up, and our best chance of staying up is if we keep Danny Ings, surely. Yeah, I mean, just looking at it from a you know, very simple view is that if you think about how much we signed Danny for, um, however many years ago it was now, um, you know, plus wages, plus you know whatever it cost to to have his treatment when he had the the serious knee injury, it's it's, it's impossible to 
see a situation where it, that hasn't already been paid back by um, what he achieved for us last season. Um, so from my point of view, as a, you know, a business decision, he's now effectively you know, a, almost a zero cost, you'd, you'd think. If he, if you know, from the money we earned from last season, you'd probably say you could you've broken even on Danny Ings already. So if he has a really good season this year, um, we stay up. We, we that's just pure profit off off the back of him. So if you lose him and go to a tribunal, and I think there is evidence there that tribunals recently have given for some players, you know, decent fees. You're not going to get what maybe you could have got if he had two years on his contract, but that's never been a, a situation that's possible. And you get people who say he should sign a contract just so we can get more money for him, but that's not in his, you know, in his in, uh, in his interest. And I don't know why in football it's seen as a different scenario to any other walk of life, where, you know, would you expect someone to sign a new contract just out of courtesy for having been with you for a while, even when they know you're accepting you're going to leave? Um, it's just hard to to see how that that can be expected in football, but. I think when you look at, you know, what you'd still get from a tribunal, I think you you get at least five million, you know, regardless of what happens this season. I think there's there's really absolutely no risk to to keeping him now and, and waiting for the end of the season, you know, because if we do get relegated and he hasn't had a particularly good season, maybe this is a good spell now and he drops back off again. The chances are we're front runner to sign him, and then you know you got a chance to get back up with him. I think you're right and. Five million's pro maybe a little ambitious. I think the three, four would probably be bare minimum. I think Junior Hoylet was a good example that we can be hopeful for. I think he went for about seven when he had a similar tribunal situation, so we could be looking at that much. That's kind of what I'm blaming, uh, basing it on, because the you know they are supposed to take into account um, what impact they have on your side, and I think it's you know you, no one can argue that Danny Ings when you look at our team sheet. He's our big name. He's our player who's the biggest influence. I mean, you take him out of the side, that's clearly you know, a big loss for us. And as a result, I'd say the tribunal would probably go more towards you know, like the way that Hollywood wanted. Um, you know, maybe with two years on his contract, you get £10 million for Danny Ings. But that's just not a situation that's ever been there to play out. So people who harp on about that, you're just living in a dream world because that's never been a scenario that's even been close to reality. We've got the same problem as well as that as we had in the summer, in that we've got to try and replace him somehow. And Troy Deeney seems to be the main target in the summer, and Watford were quoting £10 million. So we've got to think, if we were to sell things in January, we have to go out and get someone who can score goals in the Premier League as a replacement. And they're going to cost £10 million quid, probably, and it's a hell of a lot of money, but that's what these sorts of players cost. They're probably going to cost more in January because... Exactly. Yeah. Well, we had inflated prices in the summer, but in January it's just ridiculous. So, to to sell Danny Ings in the in January just wouldn't make any sense. And I think we're we're all going to get tired of it being played out in the press because he is now getting attention. He's he's. I, I was watching goals on Sunday, um, on Sunday, um, and uh, Sam Allardyce was the guest, and he was he pointed out Ings as a, as a star player and said he's adapting to the Premier League and and that he um. That he'd be a great player, so so it just shows that if if Sam Allardyce is saying that on um, on on TV, um, and I saw a tweet um, from BBC Sport the other day that said, um, which which would you rather start for uh, start start for England, Danny Ings, um, Charlie Austin, and I think Andy Carroll or someone like that. Um, so if if he's been um, compared to people like that on on the biggest. New, in, in the biggest news outlets out there, um, then it's just going to happen now. But I don't think it, it actually makes any sense for us to, to sell him. Um, and probably Sean Dyche will get tired of saying the same thing over and over again as well. I think it is, it, it's one of those things that it's inevitable that people are going to talk about it because he is our star player, his contract's running out. For me, it's been pretty obvious from the summer that he's going to go at the end of his contract, and I've got no problem with that. but it is something that people are going to talk about. And we saw earlier in the season when he wasn't scoring that a lot of people were using the contracts as a reason to hit him with a stick just because they say, oh, he likes commitment and so on. But I think the last few weeks have proven that that's rubbish, really. And he's, he's shown on the pitch that he's as committed to the club as he needs to be. Uh, Dash has said that 
we still have open dialogue with Ings and his agent, whatever that means. And he also said, quite interestingly, the club have made it quite clear how much they value the players we've got at. And we're in a good position cash-wise because we haven't spent a lot of money. Now, that's probably about as bullish as we've ever been on finances. We're in a good position cash-wise. We're officially not skin, and it's fantastic. Um, I want to stay on strikers for the minute, actually. Adam just touched on players who are being touted for England. I want to talk a little bit about Charlie Austin, who scored a hat-trick for QPR against West Brom on Saturday. Really pulled his team out of trouble again. They went 2-0 down before Austin's goals. Secured a 3-2 win that got them out of the drop zone, dropping us back in there. Harry Redknapp's been in the press saying that they've got no intention of selling Austin, but is it not inevitable that if a player's got 11 goals for such a poor side by Christmas, that teams are going to want to bite him. And I think Austin's only got 18 months left on his contract, and we've seen in the past how quickly Austin likes to move on. And I don't think there's any disrespect to him to suggest he's going to want to go to a bigger club. Yeah, maybe. But I think um, I think Charlie Austin's actually a really strange one because he's a you know he's a dying breed of striker. Um, a few Spurs fans mentioned him on Saturday actually, and they you know um, they just basically said that oh you know old school striker is. You know, he's the the old the old way of he, he scores goals and he doesn't really do a lot else. Um, but I think QPR's reliance on him was you know evident last season. Um, you know, I can't, I haven't done you know the actual numbers, but I can only imagine they'd be mid table if he took his goals out from last season. I mean, I know at one stage um, when we played them, obviously he was out again with his shoulder. They hadn't won a game where Charlie Austin hadn't been involved, so um, they they were pretty reliant on him last season. And I think it's clear now that they're really right on his goals again this season. 2 0 yeah. down at the weekend, weren't they, before Charlie Austin scored his, his hat trick and and they won three two. So if if anything is a a marker of, of QPR's reliance on, on Charlie Austin, it's it's the fact that he can he needs to score three goals after they're two 0 down um at at home, I think. Uh, I'm not sure if it was at home. Yeah, yeah, it was at QPR, yeah. yeah. Um, if they, yeah, that's that's a, as good a marker as any to to say how. I mean, he's, he's scored eleven goals already this season, and a good comparison is Burnley, who've scored twelve. So that just shows to me how far ahead of the teams at the bottom Austin is. I think he's just far too good for QPR, and might be wishful thinking, but I think it's inevitable he's going to go in January. There's too many teams that are going to want to buy. A striker who scores that many goals. Now I see what you mean about him being a dying breed, but I also think these things are a bit circular sometimes. And Diego Costa's not that dissimilar to Austin. Obviously, much better, but he's again sort of a penalty box poacher. And maybe they're just going to come back into fashion again. Who knows? Yeah, no. I mean, I, you know, there's definitely sides you can look at and say, well, they, you probably really don't care how they get scored. You just want someone to score them. Um, and I suggest maybe Arsenal or one of them, where you know, they can play all the pretty football in the world, but just don't seem to necessarily score enough when they need to because they're trying to pass it over the line. And you know, if they had a person like Charlie Austin, if if one of those pretty passes lands to him in the box, he's not going to think about passing it back to someone, is he? He's going to try and rip the net. Um, but I think, uh, you know, probably an interesting comparison actually is um, I think Harry Kane's on, what, 13 or so goals now? Yeah, something um, like that, yeah. And, you know, he's playing for a side like Spurs, so you got to say that you know with the number of goals he scored, he's, he's there's going to have to be a bigger team at some point who are definitely interested in you know what he brings to the table. Yeah, I mean the thing about Kane, he's he scored a lot of goals this season, but there's only four have been in the Premier League. A lot of them have come in the Europa League. A lot have come in the League Cup. So I think don't discount his record, but it is a little bit skewed, similar to sort of Peter Crouch's England record, where a lot of the goals he scored were against quite poor teams. So. Kane, I think, is a good player, and I think he played well on Saturday. Oh, he does seem to shoot every time he gets the ball, but yeah, maybe not the fairest comparison. He's probably playing in a more difficult situation though, if you. Yeah, maybe. If you, you know, believe in that kind of thing, because he's playing at Spurs, and um, you know, I think obviously there's expectation at Spurs that with the money they've spent, um, they're going to do well, which kind of makes it even funnier actually that they're reliant on. You know the fans seem to believe Harry Kane's their only chance of scoring, um, which when they've got some players they've spent quite a lot of money on is a little bit, um, a little bit concerning. It is strange. You know, I only played him up front on Saturday, but anyway, let's move on from there. I do want to talk about Sam Volks again? Um, played another ninety minutes for the development squad today, Monday. I can't remember who they were playing, but he scored two goals in the first half. 
Um, he's having quite a productive pre-season, really, I suppose. This is Sam Volks' pre-season, but that is his third 90 minutes now. We've got to be looking at getting him on the bench for, for one of the games over Christmas, don't we? I mean, how many more games is he going to play before he's going to be involved? I, 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 to be honest, I think he'll be on the bench, uh, you know, Boxing Day. You know, whether he'll get a run out or not is, you know, another matter. But you've got to think he's, he's going to be on the bench over the Christmas period and he's going to get, you know, at least 20 minutes somewhere because, like you, you said earlier, there's such a, you know, congestion of fixtures. It's going to be difficult to expect, you know, both Barnes and Ings to, to do the amount of running that, you know, we expect of our forwards um, three times in a week. Yeah, and also, I think... You look at the strikers that we've got on the bench, you know, Sordell and Jokovic, it's just, you look to them and think, how are we going to get a goal from that? I think it's psychological as much as anything, and especially with it being Liverpool, who have been so susceptible to set pieces and goals from headers, I just think it'd be a bit daft if we didn't have votes, even just to throw on for his, his old five minutes off the bench at the end, just to see what he can do. I'd I, I say on Jokovic, actually, I, I do feel a bit... Sorry for him, because um, he seems to be a bit of a, a whipping boy now. And I think you, you only have to look back to the Sunderland game, where I thought he was really, really good. Uh, some sort of miracle he didn't score in that game. Uh, and I think ultimately that's been the issue. The fact that he had games like that, where he looked so good, and he didn't score. Um, which I think is perhaps maybe the only concern with Sam Vaux coming back. You know, people are looking to him like he's, he's going to be a hero, and he's going to score a lot of goals, and him and Ings are going to go back to you know, the way things were in the Championship. But, I mean, at the same time, there's every chance that maybe he has a couple of really good games. You know, he's getting man in the matches, but he's not quite putting it in the back of the net. And he, he loses his, his confidence. And I think with quite a lot of strikers, it can be if they lose the confidence, they're going to find it really hard to score goals. It can be the flick of a switch, can't it? And sometimes it, it's something that's imperceptible almost. It's just gone and then sometimes it's back and it's difficult to tell where it's come from. But I think... You, Jokovic certainly low on confidence. Yeah, I mean, I certainly you look back at the games Jokovic has played, and maybe one of the games since, you know, a ball hits him on the backside, goes in. That could just have been what he needed to, to get back on track. But uh, you know, it is difficult because, you know, you can see why uh, strikers lose the confidence and you know from not scoring. But at the same time, it's the Premier League, and it's you know it's one of the toughest leagues in the world. I mean, you can look at all the other leagues and say, you know, argue which league's better, etc. But I'd, I'd say it's almost impossible to argue that the quality across the whole league isn't higher as an average in the Premier League than it is elsewhere. Um, and, you know, as a result, it's going to always be tough to score goals. Um and that's that's why people at the top end of the Premier League have paid so, so much money. It's unforgiving, isn't it? And I, I see what you mean about Jokovic. I thought he was very good at Leicester as well. He did a really good job of leading the line. But the problem I've got with him is that he's just never looked like scoring a goal. There's been no occasion at all that the ball's come to him in the box and I've thought he's going to score here. Well, it's maybe not fair to compare him to Wings, but when the ball comes to Wings in the box, I'm confident he's going to make something happen. Even Barnes now, I'm starting to get the the feeling that he's going to do something, especially after his goal on Saturday. Whereas Jukovic, he, he does the, the link-up play all right and he gives defenders a bit of a working over, but he just doesn't look like he's going to score a goal. And I think you carry a player if it gets to that stage. You can't be playing two up front and one of them not being a goal threat at all. So hopefully Volks will, will come in and, and not do that. You kind of you kind of hit on it there, but that it's kind of psychological in fans as well. Like the players we like are just like they're, they're reflections of what we see and what we like. Like Barnes two weeks ago, you'd never said you expect him to to make something out of nothing. But suddenly after that Spurs game, we're like, yep, yeah, he can definitely make something out of nothing. It's and if if Duke does that once, you, you, we, we said earlier that fans' opinions are, are quite stable; they don't change that much. But you could see people. You could see people if he does something spectacular out of the blue, somehow, some way. Um, yeah, I mean, the problem I've got with that is that I just don't see that happening. And you're right about Barnes has gone Saturday not being something that anyone expected. But going back to last season, Barnes already showed this knack of coming up with key goals. He already scored two winners, and. For all I've got problems with his, his general play and the way he throws himself to the floor, he has proven that he can score important goals. And 
Yokeridge certainly hasn't done that for us yet. And just on Volks and Barnes, it's probably early days to be talking about who's going to get the nod, but Barnes has made it very difficult to not pick him at the moment. Even if it is a few weeks until Volks is ready, he's probably going to have to be patient, isn't he? Unless he gets a game over the festive period while these fixtures are coming thick and fast. I wonder if Spurs in the Cup might be a good opportunity for him to get his first start if he's ready. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be looking at the Spurs in the Cup as a you know a game where we, I don't think we're going to make a lot of changes because obviously the Cup is something we we would definitely want to, you know, try and make a mark in. But you'd probably look and say, you know, maybe you play different wingers to what you played New Year's Day and, you know, you play at least one different striker. Um, just because of what we said about, obviously, the amount of games there is over the festive period. You know, George, there's going to be no way George Boy can run the crazy distances he runs every game um, four times, uh, you know, between now and the and the 6th of January so there's just no way you can expect him to play all those games put that effort in so you look at you know maybe the wingers maybe the wingers maybe a striker and then you think maybe you know the rest can can play with you know maybe minor changes but um, you know that would be as good a time as any to to bring things back as a a partnership Looking ahead to these Christmas games then um, probably be the two before our next podcast we are going to try and record next Monday I think so Liverpool, Man City, obviously on paper these are two very difficult games, but the form Liverpool are in, surely this is an opportunity to get something. And You'd say probably three points out of the two games would be a fantastic return, wouldn't it? Particularly when you looked at the beginning of the season, obviously Liverpool haven't lived up to, to what people expected of them um, so far. But you know, I'd almost be inclined to kind of just write City off now and say anything you get at City is going to be you know, a bonus. Um, you know, we did see it last time in the Premier League, and obviously we got a really great result with the Etihad. But you know, in most ways, you, you're going to say teams that you can almost write off visits to their ground in the, the Premier League are definitely Chelsea and City, um, because they're just teams who normally get the business done at home. Um, but Liverpool, obviously, with the way they played, the inconsistency they've shown. Um, you know, you've got to think that depending on which side turns up, you know, our work rate and effort could really causing trouble and uh, you know you could be looking at a result there on, on Boxing Day particularly with a sellout crowd and you know if the crowd's in the right mood um, it could make a really good atmosphere yeah I think that's a good point just on the City game actually obviously we, we did get a result there last time but our, our record historically against Man City is fairly terrible um, obviously they've got players out at the minute they haven't got a striker but they showed themselves to be quite adaptable in the Palace game at the weekend, won 3 0, even without a striker. We talked a little bit about um, rotation, but would there be a case for even making wholesale changes for the City game and trying to keep people fresh for Newcastle? We talk about it being a game that we can almost write off. Would that be a bit far, making a lot of changes? In, I can I can definitely see where people come from, and we have seen it before in the Premier League. You know, when smaller sides have gone to big teams over the festive period or over another period where there's a lot of fixture congestion, and they've put out, you know, what you you wouldn't say was their first first choice team, and then there's always the typical, you know, media uproar about how they're disrespecting the game, etc. And I think you know there is something in that. I wouldn't go as far as saying you're completely disrespecting the game because you know you are you're trying to do ultimately what's best for your team um, but I think in in many ways you do have a duty to put out the strongest team you can um, but you know certainly you, I think again like I said for the Southampton uh, sorry for the Spurs Cup game you, you're going to be looking at wingers in particular and thinking can we really you know want to put them out there again so, so to, you know just two days after the last game expect them to do the same amount of running and then do it again on New Year's Day against, you know, arguably a team that's going to give you more chance of a result. Also, resting wholesale changes would be a very, very un un Sean Dyche like thing for Sean Dyche to to do, um, because I don't think he he's shown almost consistently throughout his tenure at Burnley that he's um, he likes consistency within a team. He likes he likes to play the same same team where he can unless something's wrong or something clearly needs changing um so I, I i just don't think i could envision sean dyche doing that just not like maybe maybe it might be the best thing to do but maybe not the thing that sean dyche would do 
I agree, but I, I also think James has got a really good point that a lot of our players rely heavily on energy and work rate and covering a lot of ground. And if you're asking George Boyd to run, what is it, like eight miles he's been doing every game, asking him to do that twice in three days and then go and do it again three days later and then go and do it again three days after that, I just think you're going to give the bloke like a heart attack if you're asking him to do all that. Yeah, I know, but you can't you can't just write him off. You just say no, he won't be able to do it right at the start. You might maybe you you start him, but take him off after um, however many sixty minutes or, or like. Yeah, when just... have you ever known Sean Dash? <laughs> okay, okay, maybe that was a bad example. <laughs> but, but like, there are alternatives. It's not all like it's, it's not yeah, all, all you have to you have to make wholesale changes or all you, you you can't change anything ever. Um, so maybe maybe it'll, we'll see some middle ground here. Like, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know you, you are right that quite often we play with consistency. That was definitely the case last season. I think if you look at this season, there's definitely been a you know willingness to mix up who's playing on the wing. Um, yeah. You know that there's definitely a call that you know we don't really like to mess with. I can definitely see us playing, you know, several different winger combinations over the Christmas period. Just because, like Jamie said, you know, if George Boy runs eight miles on Boxing Day, you know, it, I, I I always go with is if footballers shouldn't really complain about fixture congestion. At the end of the day, they are professional athletes. Um, you know, this is what they are paid to do, and it happens and every year. <laughs> he, you know, and he should be. You know, they know Christmas is coming. They know the fixtures are going to be busy, and you know, he probably can run. 16 miles, you know, in, in a football scenario in, you know, for the space of three days. But it doesn't mean it's the wise thing to do. Yeah. Um, the, the, the question you know, was... I, I, I have no doubt he's capable of it, but, you know, there is going to be an element of fatigue. Um, you, know, you probably want to say, well, if he runs that eight miles against Liverpool, actually that's going to do us a really good job. And maybe against City, you think, well, maybe if you put him on the bench and, you know, if it looks like we need him later on, you know, he can come out and he can run, you know, however far he'd run in 20 minutes. And then you're thinking, well, the game where we really need his running, his energy, he's going to be, he's going to be really fresh and he's going to be ready to go. Yeah. But, but replacing a couple of wingers and maybe a striker isn't wholesale changes. No, which is, which is what Jamie said, wholesale. I said, well, I was asking the question, but I didn't really expect anyone to say we're going to do it. And also I don't think we've got the, the staff to do it. I mean, we don't have a central midfielder to put in, so there's no way Jones or Marnie can get rested because there's nobody else to play there. What are we going to do? Play Stephen Reid again? There's just no way. And unless Duff's, unless Duff's fit, there's nothing we can do at the back either. And You're not going to leave Trippier out and you're not going to leave Ings out. So there's probably half a dozen who are certainly going to play. I think James is right. I think the wingers will be the ones that will get rotated. Barnes might get one of the games off, but yeah, I don't think we're going to see an awful lot then. Uh, let's round off with a couple of predictions then just to, to round off this week's show. James, we'll start with you. Do you think we're going to get anything from these two games? Maybe a draw against Liverpool? Are you confident we can get something from that one? I can't see as big. I'm going to go with a positive prediction for, for Liverpool because I think you know the makings of a good day for us are there. A team that is in mixed form coming to our ground on Boxing Day. It's a sellout. You know, if the crowd can you know get a really good atmosphere going, I think it'll be a really tough place for you know a team that's going through. Um, the form issues Liverpool are going through to come to, especially when quite a lot of the team is actually quite young. So I think to you know be faced with twenty thousand, uh, you know, northwestern Burnley fans is going to you know be an intimidating um, sight for them if they're in full voice. So I, I'm going to go for two one against Liverpool for us. I agree. I, th- I think we can beat Liverpool. Seen their last couple of games and they really don't all that good. They've got. Obviously, problems up front where Storage has been injured. Balotelli's been really mixed. They're trying to play Sterling up front. I'm not really sure it's been working. I'm confident we can get something there. I think we're going to get humped at City, but I'm confident that we can beat Liverpool. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I think I think the same as James. I think that um, that we've got as good a chance as, as any, really, if, if the wrong Liverpool side turn up and, and they, they see that... that they're thrown into the atmosphere um, or, or the situation that will be pre- presented to them. Um, so I, I, I was actually going to say 2-1 as well. Um, so I'll say 2-1. Yeah, I'll, I won't change. <laughs> Brilliant. 
Fair enough. Well, that is about all we've got time for. Hopefully you've enjoyed this week's podcast. It has been a bit different from normal with not as many guests. If you are interested in coming on the podcast, by the way, please do get in touch. We are always quite short of guests. You can tweet us at net or email us at podcast at net. We've got to thank our sponsors at Neville G as well. We couldn't do the site or the podcast or anything else without them. Um, and that's about all we've got time for before Christmas, really. So hopefully you all have a, a lovely Christmas, have a cracking time, don't drink too much, etc., etc. And we'll be back after the festive period. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. By fans.